Unbound Theatre presents The Chronicles of Professor Cronomier, Goddess of Victory Written by Dario Knight and performed by Erica Sanderson Chapter 7 The Pendant The professor had bided her time. After witnessing the aftermath of the sacrificial offering the night before, the urge to act as soon as Boudicca returned to camp had had to be quelled. But time to think was time well spent, and the following day she had taken Eowyn and Mildretha riding. She needed accomplices. That curious totem your mother wears she began in an affected casual manner as the three women walked with their horses besides a bubbling stream. A curious object. She says it was a gift from Andraste, said Eowyn. Do you believe her? the professor inquired. Eowyn stopped and turned back to her tutor. We do not question the gods. But of course. Very wise, the professor nodded, and the older sister continued her trek. It's a beautiful design. Have you had much chance to examine it? I have, Mildretha grinned. Eowyn hasn't. She was taking pity on you. You were ill, Eowyn grunted in reply. What did you make of it, Mildretha? asked the professor coyly. It's very clever, recalled Mildretha, the way the two rings spin around each other. Mother says it's the symbol of our freedom. We choose a different course. How right she is, mused the professor recalling the determination that had driven her to create similar cogs centuries in the future. Her mind returned to the present. It would be fascinating to examine it closely, she mused. You know, if we could properly determine its design, we might be able to create our own. Really? cried Mildretha, stopping in her tracks at the head of the convoy and forcing the others to do the same. But it was made by the goddess, Eowyn frowned. Oh, created by her, certainly the professor hastily agreed. But a mere mortal could copy it, of course. It wouldn't be a true totem by any stretch, but imagine the tribute we could pay to Andraste if every Iceni warrior wore her symbol about their neck. They'd be certain of victory then. She studied the two girls' reactions carefully. Mildretha was clearly already on board, but Eowyn remained hesitant. Mother would never part with it, the older sister concluded. She has it with her at all times. Not when she sleeps, chimed Mildretha. Really? The professor's brow raised theatrically. She hangs it above the entrance to her tent. She says it wards off misfortune before it can get close enough to harm her. Then I don't suppose she'd notice if we borrowed it in the early hours, the professor hypothesised. She was on dangerous ground now, and she could see that Eowyn knew it too. She quickly countered the child's frown. Only for a minute or two. Just time enough to confirm the design. She'd never notice. Oh, she would, Eowyn retorted. Mother does not sleep heavily. In truth, she's no need of totems to protect her. Her senses serve her well. Come, Mildretha. 
The two girls continued on their way whilst the professor lingered. So much for accomplices. But they had told her enough. Now she could plan. The storm that had chased Astrid and her companions some miles away had broken by the time the professor's idea was put into action. The ground was swollen with water, and a harsh breeze lingered in the aftermath of the tempest, but the night was calmer now. One or two of the more restless Iceni men had ventured from their tents to speak in growling tones of the fight to come when they marched for Verulamium. Earlier in the evening, the professor had watched Boudicca and her party drag another man to the sacrificial altar, wherever it was, and felt her chronometer quiver in her pocket when the act was done. She had fed the girls and put them to bed, then waited as the storm battered the camp and silver lightning blistered the night sky. Then it was time. Boudicca had not passed the habit of shallow sleep to her offspring. The professor deftly removed herself from their tent and out into the night air. Careful to avoid the smatterings of soldiers, she made her way to the edge of the camp to pick up a vital component to her plan and ascended a steep hill overlooking the assembled British army. It was only at this distance she could see the sheer vastness of Boudicca's forces. History recorded hundreds of thousands of fighters loyal to the warrior queen's cause, and sure enough, the enormous vista of tents and wagons stretched far into the distance. The professor stood for a moment to drink it in. History in the here and now. Resuming her task, she ascended further up the hill. From her battered frock coat she took a set of matches. Cursing the downpour for the difficulties it would pose to her idea, she approached a clump of trees with the large handful of hay she had snatched from the horse enclosure. Plucked from deep within the mound where the creatures had been left, it had largely escaped the rain. Perfect kindling. She sprinkled a small mound of the dry grass beneath a thick gorse bush, then lit a match and ignited the hay. She delayed long enough to see the infant flame engorge and catch hold of the gorse, then darted away to repeat the process ten yards east of the first. Within minutes, a series of fires were burning on the hillside, catching the attention of the nocturnal Iceni dotted about the camp. Immediately the alarm was sounded and warriors stirred from their sleep, ready to fight. The furore had of course woken Boudicca, who, always anticipating some Roman trick, had leapt up and sprinted to the fray, just as the professor had hoped. Having scurried back down the hill and re-entered the camp some distance away from where the Iceni were rushing to depart, she waited to catch sight of Boudicca, and having spotted her in the stampede, sprinted for the Queen's tent. Sure enough, the pendant was hanging just inside the entrance on its leather string. The professor took the cog in her hand. It was unmistakable. Here was a component she herself had worked to develop. Could the party of Britons who rescued her from the Roman attack have stolen it from the ship? If so, then why did Boudicca believe it had been given to her by the goddess? How else could it have reached an era she had never before set foot in? But then time was no simple affair. What if it had been left in an earlier time by some misadventure yet to befall her? Could this be her own doing? She reached into her pocket and took out the chronometer, which was once again shaking with energy. She brought it closer to the cog, which glowed again with silvery light that began to slither into the air around it. The glow filled the professor's eyes. Just for a moment she was back in her laboratory. 
she could see the primitive framework of the ship standing at one end of the room. The workbenches were piled high with experiments and prototype machinery that would one day become the machine's controls. And then she could hear it. Laughter. Two voices chuckling, enthralled by one another and the miracle of invention the room was host to. Then, slowly, the laughter became screams. One of pain, one of fear. The memory flared and faded, returning her to the tent. The glow of the cog was fading now, replaced by the glimmering surface of a sword held at her throat. "'You dare to deceive me?' hissed the Queen of the Iceni. "'I shall see you dead for this.' The Chronicles of Professor Chronomier, Goddess of Victory, an Unbound Theatre production, written by Dario Knight and performed by Erica Sanderson, with music by Kevin MacLeod.